One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs, the unofficial auto new podcast from Rotographs. This is episode seven. I'm Tom Altruzewski here with Joe Douglas and Justin Viver. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Good, Tom. Cool. Well, uh, tonight we wanted to look at um, some early season topics, uh, some questions we've seen in the Slack and in the discourse group, uh, and then maybe look ahead too at some players that have been notable in the early season. So let's jump right in. The first question I had here is something we've seen a lot on the Autonew 101 posts, people asking about how many hitters they should start. Uh, basically, should I start a guy now, or should I leave a spot open for later in the season to hopefully get better production? What do you guys think about that? I tend to be pretty liberal with using my games early in the season. Um, I think that the game caps, um, if you didn't have a game cap, it would work out pretty similarly to how... Um, how actually like starting a player every day would work. So I, I don't think the game caps are too restrictive. If it was me and I was a new player, I would play someone every day I could up until the all-star break and see where you were. Um, and then from there start to be more selective because even though you can be a little selective early in the season, what typically happens is that players are too selective and then you get to the end of the year, 20 games short in outfield or five games short at a middle infield spot. And I would rather get to the end of the year, um, and have no games to play with the final two or three games of the season instead of uh, having extra games that I'm not able to fill. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, it's been one of my big sort of uh, downfalls with some of my teams has been not meeting those games caps. So that's been a big focus of mine recently because, you know, I think when you get to the end of the season, you kind of already alluded to this, but I'd rather be like, you know, a quarter point per game less efficient, but fill all my games. I think in the in the long run, you're still going to come out ahead, um, making sure that yeah. you fill off those games as much as possible. I mean, the only position I wouldn't be doing that right now would be catcher. Um, I would I would still be playing matchups at the catcher position, but every other one, I agree 100. percent I've been rotating in someone so that I always have somebody starting at every lineup spot every single day. Um, worst case scenario, you're running way ahead of caps, and then you can be a lot more selective and then you're only playing, you know, your very, very best matchups and uh, you'll actually improve your efficiency in theory, uh, your points per game efficiency is as you get closer to the end of the year. So um, I think it's more important to fill your games than it is to worry too much about um, playing the matchups on, on the hitter side right now. So I, I completely agree. And I think, um, one of the ways to really look at it is that, like, if you if you look at like a really terrible hitter, you could plug in at shortstop. So, um, what's like uh, Freddie Galvis? He's shortstop eligible, I believe, right? I think he is. Anyways, he's probably <laughs> going to give you like two and a half, three points a game. But having that two and a half, three points a game uh, for five games instead of ending up five games short is much better than just getting four points per game out of whoever you were going to use, right. um, and not having 
um, and being 10 games short of the cap or whatever. So even if you're stuck playing in someone who's just hot garbage, I would do that instead of um, focusing on the efficiency of your team and making sure that you're at like 5.5 points per game or points burning pitched or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, the very the very worst mistake you can make is not starting too many guys. It's having someone that was not in the starting lineup, but then pinch hits. So you're wasting a game on one plate appearance. That's yeah. kind of the worst case scenario where you forget to, to take a guy out of your lineup and he didn't actually start the game, but he comes in for one pinch hit appearance. And um, I mean, even if he gets a hit, you might think, oh, it worked out well in the long run. If you keep doing that, that's that, like bad process and good result. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very in the long run. That's really bad process. You do not want to waste. I mean, those games played, that's basically a currency you're spending from your remaining games played cap at each position. And you don't want to spend that on one plate appearance. You want that to be three plate appearances, four plate appearances. I think that's uh, a great way to think about it, uh, that those games are like currency, you know, and it's not like your salary where you could always take on a loan to get more salary. You can't get more games. And on the flip side, you can't like sell your games to someone else. So if you don't meet the games, you just have empty games sitting at the end and you can't do anything about it. And just like you said before, that's really brutal. Even if you could have gotten two points for that game, to have a bunch of zeros sitting there will really kill your team. <laughs> so I think um, one of the things that I like to do in spite of this, and I think I mentioned in my last post, is to roster a couple guys. The games I find most difficult to fill are uh, out, outfield and your middle infield yep. games. So I like to own someone like Kevin Pillar or Cesar Hernandez for a buck, um, who I know will play every day. Um and probably get you those like four plate appearances that you talked about. And then if I need a game, I can plug someone in, even though um, <laughs> I don't expect either of those guys to be great performers. Right. Yeah, I do the same thing. I mean, I, I have, you know, a guy like <clears throat> Angelton Simmons on a couple teams, just because you know he's going to play every day. Um, and yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, like my plan is best case scenario, I never use him because I always have a better option. Yeah. But if I just need a game mm -hmm. and and that's the thing, I mean, this this kind of segues a little bit into into roster construction a little bit too because you think you know while there's three middle infield spots how many middle infielders total on your roster do you need to ensure you hit the games cap and it and it can be hard to know that answer and sometimes that's at least six I mean because yeah it's, I mean you it's have a day six. where where your two of your starters um, have a day off but then your bench players aren't playing either. You know, they're, 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 they have games, but they're not in the lineups that night. So, you know, you end up having to have two empty spots that day. I mean, that doesn't kill you if you do that, you know, a couple times, but if you don't have enough guys, you know, waiting in the wings that you can fill in those contingencies when, when your guys have days off or if, you know, guys go on the DL, you know, you lose a middle infielder, you need to have the depth to, to cover those games while, while that guy's on the DL and, I, I agree with Joe is is outfield and middle infield are really the two that are the most difficult to meet the games. And they're the two positions I try to have as much depth as, as I possibly can. So I think speaking of uh, you just mentioned a player going on the DL, too. That's a place where the odd new format can kind of hurt you, because if you have to then auction a player, you have to wait 48 hours to see what happens. So if you weren't building up your depth at outfield and then you lose a guy, so you're already behind. Now you just lost someone. You're not going to be able to start every day. Now you have to wait at least two days to see if you win the replacement you're trying to get. 
if you miss him, yeah. you have to wait another two days. It can really add up pretty quickly. And, and really, in the lineup, you're expected to start someone pretty much every day. So if you miss a day here or there, it's not going to kill you. But if you miss like a week in a row of games, chances are you're not going to be able to make all of them up by the end of the season. Right. Yeah, I agree. One thing I wanted to touch on real quick, which you had mentioned, Justin, was catcher. So I think that is the one position where you can afford to be very patient. I know um, just looking at like brinksmanship right now, Trey and I are in a position where we really do not have a catcher at all. And I know that we're like completely content to sit and not do anything about it. Um, But that's only because you can fill a whole season's worth of games like by the all-star break, basically. Um, So I don't know if you guys have any strategies on that, but I guess my general advice to the populace or anyone listening would be that you don't need to scramble for catcher games. And I wouldn't worry about filling them too early. I think what the better approach is probably to be patient and wait for someone to break out, pick them up, and then you can fill your games late. I think that's generally more effective than front-loading all your games and trying to trade a guy. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I might. I mean, if I had two catchers, I think you can also do the flip side. Mm-hmm. So say if, you know, either through keeping them or just the way the draft work out, if you have two really good catchers, you can kind of flip that strategy and meet a lot of your games by the games cap or by the all-star break, sorry, and then go ahead and try to flip one. So I think it's really the position where you can get a lot more creative as opposed to say outfield where if you're not starting someone every day you're falling you know one more game behind every single day yeah so i think we've kind of exhausted how to play your games what do you guys think about um just to touch on it real quick with innings i try to stay about 50 innings over the cap um so that if i do run into an injury or something i can afford to wait and be more selective later in the year but I think innings are generally easier to hit than games. Yeah, I mean this this early in the season, I don't I don't really sweat it. No matter where my innings are, are going, you know, I start the guys I think are startable, and I sit the guys I think have have bad matchups. And I have certain leagues where I'm on pace for 1,100 innings, and I have other leagues that I'm on pace for 1,700 innings. So, um, you know, right now this early, even even through the first month, I don't sweat that too much. It's almost like catcher to me, where it's so easy to make up some of that. Now, I shouldn't say easy, but it's it's easier. Yeah, it's it's not the outfield games, right? It's easier to fill replacement innings later. Um, I basically start anybody that I think is is you know, I and and honestly, I probably haven't been selective enough with a lot of my innings uh, across my leagues because. It seems like some of my guys are getting shells. Yeah, we. I think we all feel like that. A lot of guys have been getting shells. This has been a bad week for pitching. Uh, But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty conservative when it comes, or I should say, would that be conservative or aggressive? I don't know. I, I, I don't sweat it too much. I, I just start the guys I think have a decent matchup, and then, um, you know, if if that means I'm running at a 1600 pace, then I don't worry about it too much. That just means that as we get closer to the end of the season. I can back off and really only pitch, you know, my aces or my second tier guys that have really, really good matchups. And, um, and again, my, my points per innings pitch will start rising if that's happening. Cause you're not throwing out those bad starts anymore. So. Yeah. I think with, uh, with pitchers, it is a little similar to catchers in that you, uh, you can afford to wait and see what you want to do. So with pitchers, there's a couple different strategies. You can throw a lot of innings early. You can throw a lot of innings late. You can try and get relievers a lot of innings late. And I think the advantage is that you have that time to wait and see, you know, if your guys are pitching great, just start them and you can deal with it later. 
that's the advantage you don't have in the lineup where you do need to start someone every day. So you can't say, you know, I'm just going to wait and see if my hitters are good. Um, the games cap is kind of designed to make you start someone every day. Um, so I think with pitching, I just like you said, I'm much more comfortable kind of waiting and seeing how it plays out. If my guys are doing great, I'll just start them. And if my pitching is getting shelled early on, then maybe I'll be like a little more conservative and wait and see what I can get later on if I need to trade for a guy, see what happens. I think the other thing to consider with, with pitching is it has a much bigger influence on standings right now. Um, if you look at your league standings in these points leagues, a lot of the guys near the top are the ones that have also thrown the most innings. So you just have to be very careful that you're... I've seen... Let me put it this way. I've been in a league where a guy, two years in a row, threw a ton of innings. He was he was at you know a 1,800 inning pace, basically three quarters of the way through the season. So he never slowed down. He kept throwing a bunch of innings. And he was near the top of the standings because he's thrown two or 300 more innings than anybody else. So it, it gave him a sense of, oh, I, my team is really, really good. But it's not because he's using up innings that the rest of us haven't had a chance to use yet. Um, and it made his team look better than it really was. And two years in a row, he was running in first place through July or August. And then he slipped down into third or fourth because he ran out of innings. And I think he knew that he was doing that. And it was part of his plan was to then just focus on getting those quality relief innings and see if he could hold everybody off. Um, but you just have to be careful that you're not looking at the standings and saying, oh, I have a first place team. Well, you've thrown 200 innings more than anybody else. So you have to be aware of, you know, right now there's a lot of variation with somebody's thrown 100 innings, somebody's thrown 50 innings, somebody's thrown 200 innings um, that you take that in, into account. And, you know, we have a couple tools. Um, uh, Trey just updated uh, a, a standings dashboard where you can input your league number and you can see where everyone is on pace for. Um, including, you know, not limiting everybody to, to, to the games and, and inning caps. So you can kind of see if everyone keeps their current pace and everybody maxes out at 1,500 innings, this is what it's going to look like. So you get a better sense of the true uh, strength of every team. So I think a great way to do that, too, is um, I really like the standings dashboard as a way to see who's kind of in true first place. Um, but even for someone who just wants to get like a quick and dirty look, you can look at the standings page um, just go to standings and it'll rank the teams by total points. But all the way on the right, there's points per game and points per inning pitched. And if you just take a look at that and see, you know, my team might have the best points per game, but middle of the pack points per inning pitched, you can just get an idea of a team that's really strong in both of them is probably going to end up near the top in the end. And a team that's either weak in both of them or really weak in one, you might start to see, you know, that you're getting propped up by either having so many games started more. That's, not quite as easy to do, but it's very easy to be having a lot more innings pitched. Um, say if you see if you have a lot more innings pitched, but your points per inning pitch isn't high, that would be kind of a red flag that maybe your first place isn't quite uh, a sign of where you're going to end up at the end of the season. Do you want to talk about hot or cold starts now? Yeah. Well, um, that is uh, another question we've been getting a lot about. People asking kind of when do you believe in a certain player that's either really hot to start the season or that is really struggling to start the season. Uh, one player I had on my list for later is um, Tyler White, who, of course, has started off red hot and has been going up for auction in a lot of leagues. And we've been kind of getting the question, number one, how much do you believe in a guy like Tyler White? And number two, how much do you bid on him? Because certain teams might be in a different situation. Um, so why don't we go in a circle again? Joe, what do you think about a situation like that? <laughs> 
I own Tyler White in one league for like a dollar, which is awesome now. But I, um, if you went up for auction now, I'm seeing some prices that are like ten bucks or eight bucks or whatever, and that's way too high for me. I would probably be in the like four or five dollar range. Um, but I also recognize that if that's the case, I probably wouldn't win him. Um, generally, I think people pay too much for hot starts. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I've got. Kind of two main opinions on on when it comes to these guys with with the hot starts. Um, number one is I I very much anchor my evaluations on the rest of season projections. Um, so I I want a guy to have favorable projections. I want to see how much they've changed. Um, a guy like Tyler White actually had pretty good projections in the preseason. Um, he just didn't have any expectation of regular playing time. Uh, so his hot start brings up what were decent projections into pretty good projections. Um, so I usually will will anchor my opinion based on those rest of season projections. And then the other point as far as how much to pay is the biggest thing I think is the timing. If, if you were the one of the first guys to, you know, to put a guy like Tyler White uh, up for auction, you would have gotten him a lot less. Uh, you would have been able to win him at a lo- lot lower price than you would right today. Um, and I think I agree with Joe that eight, eight, nine, ten dollars that's a lot of money to pay for a guy that um, may not turn out to be anything. Now, if you're a rebuilding team and you've got 40 or 50 dollars in free cap and you want to spend eight dollars on a guy, okay, but you still have to consider the fact that that's going to be the price that you know you have to keep that guy for plus two dollars going into next year. So, if you win him for too much, he's not going to be a good keeper. So, so why are you bidding on him at all? Basically. So, um, yeah, so I completely agree with you. I would say that if, like, if you are a rebuilding team and you have a lot of free cap, then bidding 12 or whatever is absolutely fine. Working under the assumption that that's not the situation that you're in. I would probably be bidding $5. And, and, and I just want to bring it up again. It, the timing of this is so important. You know, you have Tyler White for a dollar. That was probably an auction that was 10 days ago. Right. I mean, you weren't getting him for it. No, I, I bought him in the draft. OK, so there you go. You you buy these guys in the draft. You can get them for a buck. You wait two weeks and they're going for 10. Um, if you had if you had auctioned him during the first week of the season, I think I have him in one league for three or four, you know, and where now, again, that price has gone up from since since then. So I'd rather be early on a guy. And worst case scenario, I've, I wasted four dollars and I cut him then wait too long sucked into spending $10 on him, um, committing that much of my resources. And then if I cut him and he ends up being worthless, then I'm, I've got a $5 penalty instead of a $2 penalty. So, yeah, I I think you made a good point, um, about buying a guy in the draft. I mean, if you go ahead and pick up a guy like Tyler white in the last round of the draft, you might get him for a dollar. And then if you cut him, you know, really no harm to your team. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of teams who've kind of advised, Oh, I like to keep five spots open at the end of the draft. But then what happens? You know, you're going to end up trying to bid on Tyler White and you have to spend six or eight dollars on him. Um, So that's just going back to another earlier strategy. I think it's really important to fill out most of your team. You know, don't leave four or five spots open because you can get a guy like that for a dollar and then you'll be in really good shape. Uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, what do you think then like Tyler White? So we have the whole like, what do you bid? Um, My question would be, if you have him now, do you try to trade him? Like, do you think anyone's buying enough that like you could get anything really good in a trade? Or do you think that expectations are pretty um, m- muted at this point? I, I, I think one thing that I've seen that teams have been successful with and I'm trying to do more often is 
if I'm a competitive team trying to jump in on some of these hot start guys and winning them for four or five dollars and then winning them with the intention of, of potentially flipping them. I mean, if I were a competitive team right now and I had a four dollar Tyler White, I would absolutely be trying to see, you know, at least see what I could get for him. If somebody wants to trade me, uh, um, I mean, I don't I don't know off the top of my head, like a Kyle Seeger uh, for a Tyler White or, you know, a. Uh, uh, Adrian Beltre, you know, if something like that, uh, I would absolutely try to see what I could get for Tyler White. I don't think, I don't think he's the type of guy that you're going to really regret moving at his peak value. Um, you know, Trevor Story is a similar guy. Um, I think it's Story's a little bit more unique because I think I was higher on him to start the year. Um, I think he could be a top three or four shortstop right now, so maybe he's not the best example. But a guy like Tyler White, the other thing to consider is he's probably not going to keep third base eligibility uh, going into next year. So as a keeper, if he's a first base only, I'm a lot less interested in uh, in his bat if he's only first base eligible. So, Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm actually lower on story, I think, than you are. But um, different a couple guys like that, like Story, Segura, Hazel Baker, a couple guys who are having hot starts so far. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're kind of getting to that segment of the podcast. Do you want to talk about a couple – specific players and maybe how much we buy them because there are certain players that I think we buy their breakout a little more. Whereas we've just been talking about Tyler White. I think all of us are a little low on him. We would either try to move him um, or at the very least not count on him for this much going forward. So um, you just mentioned one I have next up in the queue. What about Hazel Baker? Uh, what do you guys think about him? Hard pass. <laughs> yeah. Same, same for me. What about you, Justin? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, this reminds me, you know, I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm going to have to bring up a Cubs example. But there was that year that Brian LaHare went nuts for the first, you know, six weeks of the season. Oh, yeah. Um, and two years later, he was he was playing in Japan because it was just it was just the hottest six weeks of his life. And and I remember there being crazy trades for him because everyone thought that this was his big breakout. Um, you have to be really careful if you're buying. I would. I think this was brought up in, in, in the Slack community over the last day or two. I would absolutely be trying to add a lot of these hot start guys in 48 hour free agent auctions. I would absolutely be trying to buy those guys because you never know you're, you're panning for gold and you might hit on uh, somebody that actually is legitimate, but I would not be trading for those guys. So adding them in an auction. Sure. Trading something of value for these guys. Absolutely not. Unless I, you know, unless I liked the guy before the hot start and then the hot start just reinforced it a little bit, um, you're buying high on a guy that at any moment uh, the wheels could come off. And and I think most of, most of these guys, the regression's coming and it's it's and it's going to be coming hard. So um, and Hazel Baker, what is he, 28? Um, you know, he never he was never really a prop. Yeah, he was never really a prospect. He bounced around. I mean, this I, I very much doubt this is a case of somebody, uh, you know, turning into the next. Uh, Jose Bautista or Josh Harrison or, or any of those kind of late career, um, you know, major league regulars. Um, I think this is more a case of a guy comes up and he, he has a good two weeks and then and then he turns back into what he is, which is a replacement level guy at best. So, well, now that we've all collected collectively hated on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His parents are going to call us up and be angry that we talked about him this poorly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's a I'm sure he's a fine young man, but um, as a as a auto new player as a, as a contributed to an honor new team. No, I'll let somebody else, you know, e even in a case like that, where if it's just a, 
they're just adding him in a 48 hour auction. I wouldn't even waste a $1 bid on him right now. So, um, I mean, at least if you look at Tyler white or Trevor story or Gene Segura, there's, there's some level of pedigree with each of those guys. Um, they were prospects in some sense, or they did have major league performance in the past. Um, a 28 year old rookie who's right now just filling in because he's has a hot bat. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually to bring up another guy that I've seen a little similarly uh, on the diamondback Socrates Brito. Uh, I felt the same thing about him. You know, sure. If you're going to see him going up in a 48 hour, hour auction and win him for a couple dollars, you know, he could pan out, but he's somebody who really didn't have that much pedigree. There wasn't really any sign that he would be a really exciting player, at least in, out of new fan graphs points, you know, if you're trying to play in an ESPN league where you get credit for steals yeah. and runs, maybe he's a little better there. Um, but as far as his pedigree as a pure hitter, there was never really much there. So I'm not going to go be buying on him or especially trading anyone of value just because of a hot spring training. Agreed. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree on that. I mean, it and that's where I said again, where a lot of my opinion is going to be anchored on on those rest of season projections. I mean, if you look at Tyler White or Trevor Story, they both have pretty good projections the rest of the way. And not not nearly what they've been doing, but but pretty good rest of the season projections that make them valuable. I mean, I think I think Tyler White could be a top twelve third base eligible guy the rest of the way. I think Trevor Story could be a top, you know, top four or five shortstop the rest of the way. Um, you know, otherwise a guy like Segura, I'm a little less excited about. I know Joe has some other indications that maybe there's something for real there, but um, Hazel Baker, Segura, Socrates, Brito. I, I, they've got bad projections and Brito hasn't even hit right now. So that's, that's not the best example, but, um, I, I, I have so much of my evaluations are primarily based on projections that, um, that's the first thing I look at. And, you know, just because I don't, I'm not a scout and there's so much noise in 35, 40 plate appearances that it's really hard to think that the talent level really changed that much. So. All right. Well, speaking of Gene Segura, uh, you mentioned, Joe, I know you have maybe a little bit of a system that you look for to see certain clues that a player's breakout might be for real. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah. So, like, this certainly isn't a foolproof method. I just do it because sample sizes are small. Um, and I like to look for hitter improvements. So one of the things that I look at, and I'll probably write about this at some point, but I look at players who are swinging less, um, are making more contact and are hitting the ball harder. So like if you're doing those three things, generally that I would say that that is three indications all moving in a positive direction. Um, so I just looked today actually um, at players who would qualify for that. There's actually only three guys so far um, who would be swinging less than they were last year, making more contact and also hitting the ball harder. Um, and those three would be Teixeira, Brock Holt, and Gene Segura. Um, and now granted that's only with 52 plate appearances. So I say that like I am buying Gene Segura in air quotes, um, because I'm still only spending three or $4 in every league. Um, but I guess I look at it and think that like it, of the hot starts, there's actually some form of reason to think that this one could be legitimate. So last year Segura swung 53% of the time he's swinging 44% of the time this year. So he's swinging 10% less. Um, essentially. And he's also making much more contact. Um, and I, I think like last year I did the same thing and Josh Reddick was a name that kept popping up. So it, like not a foolproof method. Um, and it doesn't mean that Segura is going to be a key contributor, but I think he'll at least be usable. Um, 
and I've picked him up, I think, in two of my three leagues. So um, I I like Trevor's story, I think, because of the park. We And I think he's like all the rage right now because of the how many home runs in his first six games or whatever. Um, but like that play discipline is bad. He's striking out like 40% of the time. Um, and if he was not in Colorado, I would much rather have Segura. Um, that's just me. I... I feel like story is going to be extremely boomer bust. Um, the downside of that is that I think that story is going to have way more trade value, um, which I guess is the case to own him. But I, I do not feel comfortable about story at all. Um, just because I see it as such a high volatility play. Um, well, and- you may have just made the perfect point right there. The case for story is to own him. And then to trade him. Yeah, and I think so. And, and I say that like if I could own Trevor Story right now, I would. Um, but the cost to acquire him is going to be high because everyone is all hyped up. Um, and I right, that's really an advantage if you owned him coming out of the draft. Exactly. And I, I don't want. I guess I say it like I don't want to pay the price to acquire Trevor Story, but I will pay the price to acquire Gene Segura because I feel like that price is going to be pretty non-existent. Um. Well, I think that's kind of a key to Adenu in general is to recognize, you know, maybe you think a guy has a certain value and if he's going above that, you should just let him go. Don't get sucked into changing your value based on what yeah, other people think, are doing. Like with Segura, like I think you can acquire him for three or four dollars. And I think that if someone else has him, you can probably trade for him for a pretty reasonable price. Um, I would much rather buy on that when indications are that he might have made some improvements. Um then pay through the nose to get Trevor story because he hit a bunch of home runs right out of the gate. So, yeah. Just to see him not even hit that many over the rest of the season. Yeah. Maybe. And and I, and I like story. I think he's going to be a good player. And I love the fact that he's in Colorado. I, I just see enough red flags to think like, would it surprise any of us right now? If you went on an O for 14 stretch right. or something over three days. And like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of holes as far as like he has power and he hits the ball really hard, but like he strikes out 40% of the time. Um, and I, that's just too much boomer bust for me to invest a really um, quality asset to acquire. And I, I think the, the point that Joe is making is also echoed with a lot of advice that we've had going into a season in the auction as well. Is it, it, It's not so much about how good that player is. It's what is the cost associated with that player? Um, he makes the point. You're making the point perfectly, Joe. I mean, you like story. You think he'll be just fine. But if I'd the rather cost have story than Segura. Him, Right, but if the cost to acquire story is four or five times greater, then it becomes a no-brainer. Why take option A that's five percent better than option B, but costs one tenth the price? You know, um, and that's that's where I think a lot of a lot of auto new owners make a mistake is they they don't consider that the, the cost of acquiring a guy like that they get they get sucked into the hype and they give up too much, and you're not leaving yourself very much opportunity to actually turn a profit on that decision. You know, and when you can get a comparable guy like Segura, I mean, I like story more than you do, and I probably like Segura less than you do. But the point the point is the same. I mean, that that you're you're absolutely correct that Segura is going to cost a lot less to acquire. And, you know, you don't yeah. you don't want to buy high on story right now and, and trade something that is going to look foolish in three weeks. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I. And I had story, I think, at like nine or ten in our rankings preseason. So it's not like I don't like story. I just think that the price to acquire him is going to be. And, and I agree. And I agree with that one hundred percent. I absolutely agree with that. So, yeah. 
So um, real quick, one other thing I wanted to touch on, because we had talked about auctions, and I don't think this was mentioned. Um, if it was, let me know. Um, but if you are in first place right now, you should be bidding a dollar on every auction, even if you don't want the guy, because you're going to lose any $1 bid, um, and you're going to push every other price to two. So if you're in first place, bid a dollar on every auction, even if you don't right, want the guy. Because the, the tiebreaker for for auctions like that is the lower team in the standing. So what Joe is saying is exactly. if you're in first place, you're always going to lose that tiebreaker. So you're never going to win a guy at a dollar. But the benefit of doing that is let's say I'm in 10th place and I put a guy up for auction and I bid $3. No one else bids, but Joe does. And he's in first place and he bids a dollar. I get him for one more than the second place bid. In this case is a dollar. So I have to, he, he gets put on my team for $2. If Joe hadn't put in a bid at all, I would have gotten him for $1. So by, and I don't care at all about that player to begin exactly. with. Exactly. Just want this. Exactly. Joe more. knows that he's not going to get him no matter what. There's no downside for him to stick in a dollar bid. The upside is potentially, you know, uh, potentially making you basically you're ensuring that a guy's not going to go for, for less than, you know, $1 would be the minimum if I also bid a dollar, but if I bid two or three, then I'm going to get him at, you know, two or $3 instead of $1. So, I think that's especially helpful, um, you know, if the person in second place, say, puts someone up and you cause them to pay two more dollars or pay one more dollar, they have to get him for two dollars. You're taking that player and driving him up for maybe one of your key opponents. And we've seen a lot of times at the end of the season, every dollar might count if they have to try and pick up an extra starter or somebody to help them meet their games cap. So anything you can do to cost that extra dollar to another team can only benefit you. I just wanted to bring that up. I didn't have anything else to add. Well, were there any other players we wanted to hit on? Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that have started hot that I think uh, that I thought were legitimate, you know, or. or, or... I mean, Machado is crushing it. So, but he's he's already rostered on every team. I. And he played one game at uh, at shortstop. So um, maybe he will get it for next year, but he was already really like a $40. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, Um, us, us saying Machado's good is, and you may not be able to trade for him. (laughs) Yeah. At any more or less value. (laughs) So a couple names. What about Dexter Fowler and Carlos Gonzalez? Um, Those guys have been doing really well. Also, you know, Escobar has been hitting. So those were a couple names. I saw that Escobar, I think you can pick up and play at third base. Um, I don't know that I really, want to depend on him but if you need games and don't have anything he could work i've liked escobar for exactly that reason for a couple of years uh, just because he plays every day which you mentioned before with some of the outfielders you like um and he's always been a guy that you can plug in and you can get four or 3.5 points you know which isn't going to win you the league but it could well i shouldn't say that maybe it could win you the league if at the end you're the person that met those games caps and someone behind you Maybe they missed their shortstop or their third base. He's only third base now. Games cap by a couple games. You know, that could be the little edge you need. So I've really liked him kind of as that bench player that you can always plug in and get something from And him. he is one spot above uh, Hazel Baker on the world leaderboards. So. <laughs> For whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at point seven to be honest, piece. I'd rather own Yuna Escobar <laughs> by far yeah, that, than Hazel that was, Baker. <laughs> sarcasm on my point. Um, I don't know. Justin, what about Dexter Fowler? Does that make the Cubs fan in you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled at how he's performed, but I'm not buying it as, you know, I think he's a top 
35, 40 outfielder. And, and I think that's about where he belongs. I don't, I don't see this as a, you know, all of a sudden he's a top 20, 20 guy. Um, I buy it a lot more for Carlos Gonzalez. Cause I don't think the, I don't think the question was, was uh, talent with cargo. I think the question was health. And um, I think he's, he, it certainly looks like he's over whatever problems he had last year. Um, that he's healthy and that octopus. Yeah. What, yeah. The, the, the mass, the fatty, uh, mass, um, <laughs> the tentacle. Um, but you know, so I'm buying cargo. Absolutely. I'm, I'm buying him as a, you know, a, he's probably a top five or six outfielder right now. Um, um so I, there was one name I wanted to bring up if sure, but this would have to go to the pitching side. What about Vince Velasquez? Well, you, you're bringing him up because, uh, yeah, he was one. He was one of your. <laughs> that's he was one boy. of your bold predictions. Um, yeah, I mean, I he certainly looked outstanding that night. I mean, uh, and and he he looked good in his first start too. So I don't want to shortchange him and say it was just that start. Um, I I think that there's a lot to like there. Um, I think this is another case where I I mean I think he's going to regress obviously, um, but I think if if you bought him and you've got him for a few dollars. I think you've got a pretty right now. You're pretty happy about the future potential there, uh, you know, future surplus asset. So, uh, okay. So I have a question then let's say Velasquez or story right now, who would you rather have if you're, you have both of them for $5 Velasquez. Now are, are we assuming this is a guy I have to hold and rather than flip him because he's got a better market value or, or, um, yeah, let's say that you're going to hold them. We're just banking performance. We're, you're not going to trade either of these guys, but you get oh, one of them. That's, well, that's because your that's story. Really tough. I think if I was going to trade him, maybe story rises in my rankings. If I'm just keeping this guy all year, I would definitely prefer Velasquez. Um, man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> I, I I think I would probably... I can feel the yeah, tension I in mean, your voice. It, no, it's a, because <laughs> I think it's really close. I think it's a really close... Um, you know, I, I think, uh, oh, the last, let's ask this, this is, this is going to be easier for you, Justin. What would you pay for either of them right now? Like if, if, if we were doing a new auction right now, um, new auction <clears throat> beginning of year, you know what you know now, what are you going to pay for either of them? Or like, let's say we auction right now. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know, maybe 15 bucks for each, something like that. Does that sound okay. about right? Does that pass, pass the yeah, sniff I'd, test for I'd you? I'd be in yeah. that range. Um, yeah, that that's about where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, honestly, I can see an argument for either one of them as far as a sort of mm-hmm. a, you know, hold for the future asset. Um, I probably would still lean story just because of, you know, the shortstop eligibility. And, and now, then again, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Reyes? I mean, I don't think he's going to be a factor. I think story can have this job all season, but you can't ignore the fact that there's a not insignificant chance that that has some impact on his playing time if Reyes ever comes back to that team. So, um, but then again, I feel like that, that would just be a knife in the heart to like, so yeah, many modern but, players <laughs> just be it. They'd be done. It's happened before. I mean, we, there've been guys that have had hot, hot starts and then, you know, they, you'd think that they Wally pipped the guy that they replaced, but they really didn't, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see, but I, I like both of those guys a lot. And I liked Velasco. I, I only own them in one league. Unfortunately, I didn't, wasn't able to get more than one share, but um, uh, yeah, I think that's really close. And I think I would probably lean story, but I think either one would be, would be fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't regret having to make that decision either way. So 
Justin, he is my Jaime Garcia. I own him in a <laughs> well, I was going to say, Jaime <laughs> Garcia had a pretty good start that day too. So He did. <laughs> yeah. So here, just quick numbers for Velasquez. This is just insane. I'm looking at his pitch FX data right now. 19.3% swinging strike on his fastball. That is like the average is like 6% or so. I, like, <laughs> yeah, that is fastball is not a swinging okay. strike pitch. That's like... Closer no, it's not. Numbers. Okay. <laughs> and then, okay, his curveball, 11.3%, which is above average for swinging strikes. Um, because curveballs are usually ground ball pitches, I believe. Um, and then his changeup, 26.7% swinging yeah. strikes, which is elite as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so. it's not a stuff question with him at all. I don't think it ever has been. It's, nope, it's a it command and good. control. And, I mean, he didn't walk anybody in that 16K star, right? So... No, which is <laughs> extremely encouraging if, if you're a believer in him. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's for real. I think the Phillies definitely have something there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we, we talked about this on Slack as well, that, you know, the Astros might regret letting him go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I it was a good call. I mean, I had story on my bull predictions and you had Velasquez and yours. And so far, they're both looking at us. Look, yeah. They're both making us look pretty good. So. So real quick, one other player to uh, bounce off of Velasquez. Um, this is another guy that just had a high profile, great start. But what do you guys think about Ross Stripling on the Dodgers? Would you be buying on him <laughs> no. or what? No, I, I, I would Joe? not either. No. Yeah, me neither. All right. We're unanimous <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yep. uh, I don't think that requires a whole lot of analysis. Um, you know, sometimes guys just they have a good couple starts. And, you know, I mean, it's the, the Dodgers. I had to consult the magic. Yeah, I mean, ball, the, so I don't the know Dodgers <laughs> had a guy like that last year with Carlos Frias. You know, he he had some good starts. He looked like he might be valuable. And, you know, I I don't I don't pitchers. There's a lot more variance. There's a lot more opportunity for a guy to actually be a lot better than the projections would have thought or that the prior you know performance might have thought because the guy can change so much depending on if he adds a pitch, if he all of a sudden has more effectiveness with the pitch. But um, stripling just kind of strikes me as a replacement level guy and and not much more than that. So, yeah, for me, it comes back to, to something we've talked about a little bit with other players on this episode um, that you have to think about what was his track record and what was his pedigree kind of, because with a lot of players, you're not going to see them jump off of their pedigree by such an extreme uh, amount. So, you know, maybe he's somebody that could be worth a dollar and not a new one day. Um, but I've seen a lot of people really, like buying into him and thinking he's the next hot thing based on that one start. And I would absolutely not be buying. All right. So um, I think we're getting a little bit towards wrap up time here. Uh, uh, I had one last question. Oh, unless no, no, uh, I, Justin, I, do you have I, I was just going to razz you and say, you got to make sure you let us know, you know, how far we've gotten into the episode before you wrap things up. So, Oh, well, <laughs> let me check on that here since that's our, our that catchphrase. Was my... Well, we're at 43 minutes and 51 <laughs> seconds. So we're going to finish up probably about 44 or 45. Um, I just had a little pop quiz here. A game that a friend of mine and I like to play is um, looking through the leaderboards, or in this case, the lagger boards, and seeing who some of the worst players are in Adenu at any point in the season. So I was just wondering um, if you guys haven't looked this up yet, if you could guess the player with the worst point total. Oh goodness! I purposely didn't look this up because you said that too. I, I, I didn't. I didn't look uh, it up either. But I think I, I. Well, and also maybe try and guess him and guess what his point total is. <laughs> okay, so I'm. Can I guess the point total because I have an idea of like what it would. Sure. Be. Is it probably around like negative ten to fifteen? 
worse. Oh, dear goodness. Are you um, sure? What's, who, is it... Is it... <sighs> I think I think I know... Is it like Deonor Navarro or like Chris Colabella? Colabella was my guess. I'm, I'm... Okay. It is actually... Um, this will be a clue as to how to figure out this player. He's not a position player. Oh, I didn't. Oh, even, I didn't. Okay. And, it, and I think it'll make sense to you why. I didn't even think about pitching. I was be. thinking specifically position. Is that players. what you mean by that? Um, I wonder if we got that one right now. Then, okay. Um, let's see. It there. Okay, Zach Greinke had like a minus thirty point start. Um, I wasn't even thinking about know. pitchers. I was. I was thinking yeah, just just hitters. I think Colabello is probably right near the bottom for the hitter side. I think. Um, if I remember, Calabello is one of the worst hitters. He and Russell Martin are yeah. both doing very poorly yeah, that so was far. My other... And they've been playing, which is <laughs> yeah, how you rack up negative right. points. Um, I don't know. Greinke probably had the worst start. What's, what about Shelby Miller? Uh, it wasn't Shelby Miller, but let me look up real quick where he's at, just because uh, that'll be interesting. It looks okay. like he's a 12. Shelby Miller is at minus 12, basically. Okay, so I was writing that he was negatives. Um, yes. <laughs> is it? Jeez. Oh, hmm. Um, I'm, I'm cheating. I don't. I'm know. cheating and looking it up, so it'll have to be Joe that's going to have to pull this name out of. <laughs> uh, you guys. This is... <laughs> All right. You want me to tell you? <laughs> um. God. What? Wait. Okay. It's. It's not Granky. It's not Miller. So it's not the Diamondbacks. Well, here's um, another clue. He's not a starting pitcher. Okay. That might make make it harder to guess because of the 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 huge <laughs> pool of obscure names he could be. But it's is, someone I think you might have heard of. Is it someone who's injured now? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's still. He was a closer. He was a closer uh, three okay. years ago. Um, and it. Got, Justin. Knows oh, okay. Now. Is it is it Wilhelmson? Yes. yes. Okay. And what, do you want to guess his negative points, or should I tell you? Is it like minus thirty? <laughs> More. <laughs> Can you imagine if you had him in your... What, 40? How bad could it be? <laughs> oh, it's bad. I'll tell you, it's negative 62. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. That's bad. Now, how he did this is he has four innings pitched, no strikeouts, 12 hits, three walks, and four home runs. Okay. The, ho- the home runs are really what crush you. That's like negative 50 what, points right there. <laughs> what about... Okay, so if we didn't look at like... If we didn't look at relief pitchers, just because I don't have this up in front of me... Um, what about like Steven Matz? Would he be like the worst starting pitcher? Um, I can look this up real quick. Um, and for any listeners, you can now check out on the, the listeners are gone at this point. <laughs> well, if, if they're still with us at this late date, um, if you go to the search page, you can now look up sortable stats and free agents, uh, which are now not on the FanGraphs uh, little head error board anymore. When I when I so I'm going to the uh, sortable stats here, sorting by negative points. <laughs> I think Shelby Miller's the worst that that started. No, that's not true. Uh, looks like Steven Matz is the worst pitcher who has a game. No, Tim, no. Tim Melville. Uh, Timothy Melville is the who, worst. He has two that? games he's, started. He's, he was with the Reds. Um, oh, well, okay. Well, yeah, that should tell you right there. <laughs> how, how many? How much worse was he than Matz? Uh, he has seven innings pitched, negative twenty-four no, in points. points. Uh, negative twenty-four, and what's Matz at? Negative but that's only that's only oh, an okay. inning in two thirds for Matt. So, so he was much worse across those two. He has, a, he has two. A, a lower negative points per innings pitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> Matt might be winning that. He, wait, on a rate basis, is he worse than Tom Wilhelmson? Uh, 
Um, it's close. It's close. Yeah. Let me see. I'm trying to pull. I'm trying to pull up my calculator real quick. All right. So um, Matt's has negative fourteen points per inning, roughly, and then Wilhelm's at fifteen and three quarters. So. It's really okay. close. So those are the two guys. If you own both of them, you're really well. I don't think anybody owns Williamson right now. Okay. They, <laughs> if they do, I'm I, sure he's been dropped after this. <laughs> I will say the the last two minutes of audio, the span of uh, what are their points per inning, and Justin saying, "Let me pull out my calculator," has <laughs> enforced every bias against us that people have. Well, this is like I don't know if you guys listen to Effectively Wild, but a lot of times they do um, the play index searches, and they'll search like some wild fact. So I felt like we we're yeah. really channeling their style in these two minutes. <laughs> yeah, every, everyone was saying, like, yeah, quick, let me uh, push up my glasses and pull out my pen. <laughs> you, you know what would be fun would be looking at how many points did Velasquez get in that start? 90. So if you had Velasquez and you had Mats, what would you get in points per innings for the two of them for just those two starts? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, so Velasquez had 90.8. Back of net, 90.8, and Matt's had, like... Well, how many innings negative. did Velasquez pitch? Nine. Nine. So nine, and then... So you have 10.2 innings. Uh, you would have still 16. gotten about 6.3 points per innings pitched, which is actually still really good. That shows you how good Velasquez was, <laughs> yeah. rather than how bad... Uh... Right. Now, what helps it is that Matt's only pitched 1.2 innings. Right. So if he had... You know, if you had Wilhelmson, you might actually do a little worse because the more innings drag it down, which that's actually a debate I've had with some friends is if you were going to have someone do really badly negative points, would you rather it be in one inning or like five innings? And surprisingly, there's actually kind of there's two ways to look at it, um, whether you want the innings to spread out so it's not really so negative per inning or whether you just want it to be in one inning so you have as many innings possible left to try and make up the damage. You're really channeling your inner Ben and Sam. <laughs> I'm channeling my inner Sam here because we're talking about all the worst players and our mortality and how everything is terrible. <laughs> all right, well, uh, on that note, let's uh, wrap this up and we'll come back again next week. <laughs> all right, have a good night, everyone. All right. <laughs> yeah, good night. Thanks for listening. Hey,